What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. She was one of rock music's biggest stars and one of its most controversial. Courtney Love came up through family turmoil and found herself alone as a teenager. But her tenacious drive led her to the stage. Courtney fell in love with Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain and along with their daughter, they became Rock's royal family until tragedy struck. The couple struggled with drug use and constant media attention, crescendoing into Kurt's tragic suicide. This is the story of Courtney Love behind the music. I'm Kurt Loder with an MTV News special report on a very sad day. Kurt Cobain, the leader of one of Rock's most gifted and promising bands, Nirvana, is dead. Cobain's body was found in a house in Seattle on Friday morning. He was dead of an apparently self-inflicted shotgun blast to the head. On April 8th, 1994, Courtney Love was in an L.A. rehab center when she got news of her husband's suicide. Courtney, her daughter Frances, and her nanny Jackie immediately flew to Seattle and into a media circus. Courtney was asleep on one side and Francis was asleep on my other side. And I was wide awake, just thinking like, what am I gonna, you know, what, what are we gonna do? I mean, it was just so beyond what any of us thought was gonna happen. It was not supposed to be the end of the movie. This is the Seattle house where Kurt Cobain had lived until a few months ago. I stayed with Courtney. And when we'd have the TV on, we'd look out the curtain and see ourselves looking out the curtain. It was awful, awful. Courtney not only had to deal with her own grief, but also that of millions of fans who desperately wanted answers. The way he died affected everybody. It was a sheen that went over the whole entire music scene. It was like this icy depression that hit you the moment you heard the news. Two days after Kurt's body was found, a public memorial was held in Seattle. While Courtney was devastated, she felt it was important to address Kurt's fans, reading excerpts from his suicide note in a pre-recorded message. She's an amazing person. I don't know how she keeps going sometimes, but she knew at that time that she was going to be expected to make statements on it and to be of comfort not just to her, but to his family and play that role, which nobody wants to play. What I saw Courtney do is step into her power. It was unbelievable. She mourned big time. 
After the service, I remember there was this gathering that Courtney said, I want to speak to. These are our people. They have a right to know. And Courtney was so powerfully beautiful. Um, yeah, it was, it was amazing to see her. She actually was showing his suicide note to fans, talking to people, weeping, crying, lighting candles. It truly was one of the most extraordinary public displays of grief you will ever see in your life. But while Courtney was putting on a brave face for the public, privately she was relying on drugs to ease the searing pain of her loss. She was numb. She was, she was a mess. I was really, really worried about her. She was so thin. Drug dealers were coming over, bringing her drugs. Most of the time, she was so sedated that I don't know if she can tell if she was sad or what. I was taking copious amounts of, of prescription medicine, but abusing it. And I wanted to get obliterated for the first time in my life, and probably the last. She'd smoke in bed and go in and out of this paralysis to the point that people put fire extinguishers all around, like in every corner of the house. Why wasn't I taken to a bereavement counselor or even given a recommendation for one? You know, why didn't I, I didn't know to go to one. There was all these people coming by the house and she was giving things away. And like, I wanted to say like, don't give all this stuff away now because you're going to regret it later, which I think happened. She was in a state. Courtney gave me Kurt's watch when I went out to take care of her. It means a lot to me. The biggest tragedy in Courtney's life occurred at a time that should have been her biggest triumph. Just a week after Kurt's death, Hole's major label debut, Live Through This, was released to near universal praise. The album was called Live Through This. How'd that happen? And the album's brilliant and important, and the world needs to hear it. The songs were an eerie window into Courtney's now very public pain. It's like I'm not psychic, but my lyrics are. Very prescient because I, I'm really open and I allow like almost automatic writing to happen. Live Through This is just a dynamite album. These are taught songs. The lyrics are truly an extension of her diary. They are themes of alienation and angst and self-questioning. It was Courtney. There was no pretense there. That was absolutely her bearing her soul. The album made countless best of lists. But just as Courtney was finally being recognized for her music, her detractors jumped at the chance to take her down, spreading rumors that Kurt wrote much of the record. There's that myth that uh, Kurt wrote a lot of our songs. It's not true. I mean, Eric and Courtney wrote Live Through This. I interviewed everybody associated with that record, and they all told me that universally, Courtney Love wrote those songs. If Kurt had written on it, I'd have said something. He didn't. That's all. It just, it just offends me. So I don't mean to be defensive. It's just like, you're being a dick. Like, I would tell you. As if that wasn't enough, accusations surfaced that Kurt was murdered and Courtney was behind it. A private detective once employed by Courtney Love to find her late husband, Kurt Cobain, has now come out and charged that Cobain did not commit suicide eight months ago, but was in fact murdered. Even her own father, estranged from Courtney for years, joined in the accusations. Yeah, that really was ouchy. That really was horrifying. And then I just got used to it. People from like all different walks of life actually asked me if Courtney killed Kurt. And I'm just like, 
Courtney didn't kill Kurt. I know for a fact because I was with her. Two months after Kurt's death, tragedy struck again. Hull's bassist, Kristen Pfaff, was found dead of a heroin overdose. I'm on the phone with Sophie Mueller, the video director, and we're talking about the next video. And Eric calls me at 7 a.m. and he's like, she's dead, she's dead, she's dead. I'm like, who the fuck's dead? He's like, Kristen's dead in the bathtub. I'm like, and I, I click back on the phone. I'm like, Sophie, I have to go. My bass player's dead. And that was just like fucking great, really great. Wow. You know, is it ever going to end? The hits just keep fucking coming. She was a great bass player, great friend. It just sucked. She'd lost a major part of her band. She'd lost her husband. She'd truly lost direction, I think, in her life at that point. It was really, really bad. So, you know, how do you move forward? How do you move on from that? And I think the decision was, let's just take it slow and go. She had Francis to live for. And I think at that time, that was the biggest thing. That fall, with new bassist Melissa Oftamar, Hole hit the road to support their platinum-selling album, Live Through This. What followed was a series of emotionally charged shows Fuck you! that were part therapy, Shut up! part eulogy, for Kurt and Kristen, and completely legendary. It was tough to just continually try to push those feelings away. Certain things would remind her, and a lot of times on stage it would come out. Certain lyrics would have a lot more meaning. It was too soon to try to do anything besides, like, hold her head up. I hate this fucking place! I was tormenting them, and I had to, like, physically help her get on stage. Then she would still play, like, a really awesome show. She was performing on a stage as a front person when everyone in the audience has been subjected to these horrible things in their life. I'm surprised she was able to go through with as much as she went through. While on tour with Nine Inch Nails for the aptly named Self-Destruct Tour, Courtney became romantically involved with Trent Reznor. Trent denied it, even as rumors swirled that Courtney was pregnant. Me and Trent had a kind of torrid whatever you want to call it. And then he said in details that my alleged pregnancy would have to be the Immaculate Conception. So I said in spin that don't call your band Nine Inch Nails if you have a three-inch one. My band's called Hole. It's not called Little Hole. It's not called Big Hole. It's not called Flapping Noni. It's not called Teeny Rosebud. It's not called Barbie Pussy. It's called Hole, okay? He's still mad at me about it. Dude, that was the 90s. What the fuck? Vulnerable and still grieving, Courtney was becoming increasingly unraveled. The pressures of her life after Kurt had become overwhelming. There was the record, there was her career, there was Kurt's estate, there was the other members of Nirvana, there was Kurt's family. There was such an orbit of crazy problems. It was still a, a very raw time for Courtney, which a lot of people took advantage of. Courtney was self-medicating, relying on prescription pills, heroin, anything to ease the pain. I took a lot of uh, drug called Rohypnol. I was asking somebody, why does Rohypnol have such a bad rap? And they said, horrible memory loss. Well, that's what happens when I meet somebody and I don't know if I hate them or like them or what, but I know that I did something. Did I fuck them? I don't know. Rohypnol. Coming up, Courtney falls hard. When Behind the Music continues.
In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. In a haze, Courtney began to lash out at anyone and everyone. In January of 95, she was arrested for offensive behavior on a flight from Australia. And just a month later, she was arrested again for punching two fans at a show. You see me on the front page of the Orlando Sentinel going like this. I have big fists. And you know, I've been known to get in a brawl or two. And that was one of the lowest periods of my life was going to Orlando, Florida and thinking I was going to jail. In July, she punched Bikini Kill lead singer Kathleen Hanna in the face at Lollapalooza. Then in September, at the MTV Video Music Awards, Courtney famously traded barbs with Madonna. It's also... Hi, Courtney. Come on up. (laughs) Courtney Love is in dire need of attention right now. She's throwing her compact at me. (laughs) It was a crazy, bittersweet time for her and her career. I'm, 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 no, no, no. And it felt really sketchy whether or not she was going to be able to pull herself out of that. I'm really okay, I promise. You're just always getting into trouble. I know, but it's like projection. It's just about projection. It's like someone's got to be the big fuck up, right? Not you. Courtney seemed on the verge of complete self-destruction. Whenever the survivor, she managed to pull herself together and in 1996 landed her biggest break ever. She snagged an audition for the biopic, The People vs. Larry Flint. When the Larry Flint script came around, it was all about this is what's going to happen, because this is the role of a lifetime, which she knew. Courtney was after the role of Larry Flint's wife, Althea, a stripper and drug addict who contracts AIDS. Courtney came for an interview. When she entered the room, she was high as a kite. But after a few minutes, I realized, you know, she's an original. Courtney Love will play the part. When Columbia execs initially said no, two-time Academy Award-winning director Milos Forman took out a million-dollar insurance policy on her that included regular drug testing. I called Courtney and told her, if you'll give me a word, 
that you stay absolutely 100% clean and will not betray me. I will fight for you. Milos made me give him my word that I would never do heroin again, and I did. I trusted her. I believed her. I went to rehab just to do the 12-step thing and do the 28 days, but I never did heroin again, and I did no drugs on the set of that film. The gamble paid off. The People vs. Larry Flint premiered in December 1996 to glowing reviews and earned Courtney a Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actress. She was magnificent. I was so proud. I felt that she had really turned a corner and come to the place where she wanted to be. She was really kind of embraced by Hollywood. She kind of had her life back. Her resurrection complete, Courtney moved to Los Angeles with daughter Frances and began dating Larry Flint co-star Edward Norton. Edward was a solid good guy. He's very much into character. We did a lot of character building. Courtney's relationship with Edward Norton was probably the greatest, most stabilizing influence in her life and was great for Francis and was great for anybody around Courtney at the time. The girl once known for her tattered baby doll dresses and smeared makeup was gone. Courtney was now an A-list Hollywood fashion plate with a new cleaned up image. The LA lifestyle gave her plenty of new material for Hole's next album, Celebrity Skin, a record that found her moving in a much more polished commercial direction. That record was about celebrity and it was about Los Angeles. It was her you know, love letter to Los Angeles that reflected her post-Kurt energy, but sort of moving into this better place. People in 1998 wanted me to make a widow record. I'll be damned if that's what I was gonna do. She turned to old flame Billy Corgan to help with songwriting. Billy wrote this great theme song. I hated that riff. I hate it. I still hate it to this day. I love the rest of it because I wrote the rest of it. Billy said, trust me, they will be doing this. And he was right. Released in September 1998, the critically acclaimed celebrity skin went platinum. Just four years after Kurt's death, Courtney was back on top. I worked my ass off on that record. I turned down serious movies to do that record. I'm really glad that I did. Here was somebody who her whole life had been looking for some kind of external recognition that what she had created artistically was of something of merit. And it was her career highlight to this point. By 1999, Courtney Love was riding high on the success of Hole's third album, Celebrity Skin, and a revitalized film career, including roles in Man on the Moon and 200 Cigarettes. But beneath her glossy new surface, years of emotional turmoil were finally catching up with her. Everyone wanted me to be a fancy movie star. And that was a rocket where you just go, boom, straight up. The rocket shakes like rockets do. Parts fall off like rockets do. Boom, 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 boom. And the chance that you're going to have a safe landing is pretty much nothing. The stress would ultimately sever her relationship with actor Edward Norton. I went out with him for four years, but I was engaged to him for about six months of it. And I would have hated to be, oh my god, Mrs. Norton used to be Courtney Love. It wasn't stabilizing, it was a nightmare. And we're so much better as friends. But Courtney's problems were just beginning. By 2002, she was locked in a lawsuit with Kurt's former bandmates over control of Nirvana's catalog and suing her own record label over Hole's contract. 
I think Courtney is her own worst enemy at times. And the early 2000s were kind of a lost weekend. She had troubles again with substance abuse. She had troubles with financial dealings. The band was not what it was. So she was a little bit adrift. At the same time, tensions between Courtney and Hole guitarist Eric Erlinson had taken a bitter and irreconcilable turn. I just felt like Eric wasn't progressing. I felt like his heart wasn't in it. I was just done. Hole broke up because Courtney and Eric fought. They were a duo, and they weren't working anymore. There's a code of honor, and the code of honor is you don't fake it. So when you're phoning something in, it feels like shit. A simple message on Hole's website marked the official end of the band. And in the summer of 2003, Courtney started recording her first solo album. Holed up in a French chateau, she had other motives too. I just wanted to be at a chateau for six months and do drugs. So it was just an excuse to do that. As addiction progresses, you try different combinations. And at that point, I think it was cocaine. I've tried pretty much every drug there is, and that was, that's one of the gnarliest ones. And you're instantly a psychotic. Once again, Courtney found herself in the grip of addiction, and it wasn't long before her personal life completely fell apart. In October 2003, she was arrested for allegedly breaking into the home of Jim Barber, her ex-boyfriend, producer, and manager. Just hours after being released on bail, she was treated for an overdose of Oxycontin, one that occurred in front of her 11-year-old daughter, Frances. Courtney was really disconnected and really upset and really depressed, and there was a concern that she had made threats against herself. Days later, her management staged an intervention, calling in the LAPD to force Courtney into a mental hospital after she threatened suicide. I was told that they were doing a psychiatric intervention on her, which is different than a drug intervention. And I showed up to be of support, and then the next thing I knew, everyone disappeared, and it didn't seem right. I mean, this is very real shit. They tried to get me to go to the nut house in L.A. when there was nothing wrong with me. The police treated her so rudely. They were like, where is that whore? We don't want people like that in our neighborhood. It was ridiculous. And then they handcuffed her, and they handcuffed me, and, you know, it was just crazy. Two weeks later, L.A. Children's Services removed Francis from Courtney's custody. History was repeating itself. The courts wanted someone to take custody of Francis because they felt Courtney wasn't in a position to do that. So I went down to Los Angeles, and I became her legal guardian for those 18 months. It was a dark time, and her personal life was in a bad, bad place. To make things worse, in February 2004, Courtney's solo album, America's Sweetheart, was released to tepid reviews and dismal sales. First of all, I dedicated my worst record to Cameron Crowe and the Scientologist. Like, that's how much I was on drugs. Ouch. There were so many different hands on that record. And that was her first attempt at writing music without Eric. And there was no real cohesive sound. It's not about the failures that the songs suck. Courtney herself called the album Le Disaster. It seemed her life was headed down the same path. Coming up, drugs, legal bills, and Courtney returns to the stage when Behind the Music continues.
In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. While Courtney was spending a small fortune on drugs and legal bills, she believed millions of dollars belonging to her and Francis had been embezzled from their accounts. And my most hardcore drug abuse came in 04. And that was because of financial crazy. I found out how much my estate is worth and how much Kurt's estate, which is my estate, is worth. And I saw a vast discrepancy in the amount of money that was coming in. She was hiring all these special investigators to find out people were stealing money from her and everybody was telling her she was paranoid, but she was like, no, I can prove it. And I believed her. It was embezzled at that time. And um, it drove me insane. As the 10th anniversary of Kurt's death approached, Courtney suffered a very public meltdown. I saw a different kind of craziness, a craziness that wasn't the norm. Courtney appeared on The Late Show in March and flashed Dave Letterman. Later, during an infamous trip to Wendy's, she was photographed with a stranger sucking her breast. And that same night after her solo show, she was arrested for allegedly hitting a fan with a mic stand. Did you go in jail? What happens? It's really scary. Unfortunately, I was with her a lot of that time. And it was really hard. And things were just going from bad to worse. It's like somebody's going to, like, throw a bottle at her, she's going to throw a bottle back. It's horrible to watch Courtney struggle with addiction because you think she's smarter than that, she's better than that, and the fact that she's so self-destructive is horrible to watch. And then Courtney's 40th birthday, with paparazzi lined up outside her New York loft. A 911 call reported a suicide attempt. You know, I was in bad shape, but I was just sitting in my apartment. Someone called and said that I was on Lenny Kravitz's roof and I was going to jump. (laughs) I was like, I'm not going anywhere. I don't care what condition I'm in. I'm not going anywhere. Paramedics rushed her to Bellevue Psychiatric Hospital, where she was held for 72 hours observation. They took me to Bellevue. 
It was horrible. I didn't need to see 72 hours of that shit. I was trying to get in touch. I couldn't get in touch. I was talking to her lawyers. I was talking to her drug counselors. She had enough going on. She didn't need to be in Bellevue. My mother flew out and tried to make me stay there. And I mean, my mother, who hasn't seen me in two jillion years, trying to make me stay there. I didn't need her help. I needed her to stay away. So 72 hours is up, and all I could think about was this, just this. When I finally got to see her, I had like a carton of cigarettes or something, because she hadn't smoked in three days. I was so excited. I smoked it in the ambulance home. I was like, they were like, you need to put that cigarette up, man. I'm like, fuck you. After another stint in rehab, Courtney regained custody of her daughter, Frances, but her recovery wouldn't last long. I would totally do everything you want. All right. It's fucking. She relapsed quite publicly in the summer of 2005. I've had problems coping and, and say, doing mortifying drugs or it's insane, like Pamela Anderson, gross, what was that? You know what I mean? I've made some really huge mistakes, just gaffes. The grunge goddess who had created three of the most compelling albums of the 90s is now facing prison for violating probation. I could feel her disconnection. I could feel her kind of at the end of a rope and hitting a bottom. You start to get into sort of a surrender, like, okay, I have an addiction that I can't control and I need help. In August of 2005, Courtney Love finally hit rock bottom. The LA Times called me a tattered mattress by the side of the freeway. <sighs> the years of chaos and drug abuse had caught up with her. After three drug-related parole violations, she was sentenced to lockdown rehab. I was in rehab for 90 days. It was really good for me. I hate admitting it, but I am too thin-skinned to ever have handled cocaine. There's no way. It's really challenging to be able to have that moment of clarity where you can just say, this is happening to me and I accept it and I'm willing to try to do something about it. I'm the first one to say I'm powerless and I'm an addict. You know what I mean? I, I tripped the wire and I made myself that way. Courtney checked out of rehab a sober woman, confident that she could turn her life around. Over the next five years, her resolve would be tested as she struggled to track down the money she claims was embezzled from the Cobain Trust. The stress left her frazzled and dangerously thin, but through it all, Courtney is proud to claim she stayed clean. Given what I've been through, no fucking way. I'd rather fucking die than fucking take drugs, no way. Courtney's a very powerful human being, and that's part of her work, her battle with her addiction. I was out in the wild for a real long time. You know, and I put myself out there. There's no one else. I have no one to blame for the last 10 years except for myself. Courtney Love has never strayed far from controversy, from angry rants on Twitter to her very public battle to remain involved in her daughter's life. I have my narcissistic moments, and I have my moments where I'm more obsessed with the, the money being stolen than I am with the care of a teenager, which has been a real problem because I can't do everything at once. And there's not two parents, so it sucks. I do not question the amount of love that Courtney has for Francis. As with many of us, the impact of our love isn't always what we want it to be. In the spring of 2010, she hit the road for Hole's first album in 12 years, Nobody's Daughter. 
her take on greed, vengeance, and motherhood. I am nobody's daughter. So much Francis is nobody's daughter. It's just this swagger manifesto, which is really my Valentine's and my daughter because she's a tough motherfucker. In a lot of ways, every song on this record is for her. Courtney Love is proving to her fans and her critics that she's back, this time for good. I have to finish this rock thing out. I'm not done. Courtney's talent for songwriting and lyrics have been minimized or overshadowed by the persona. She's a poet beyond the scope that I think she's recognized for. She needs to be in a studio on the road creating music. That's what Courtney Love is great at. And there's almost nobody when she's on that's as good as her. I feel really good to be me. I think it's a good time to be me. You know, I take a lot of shit and I keep on ticking. Watch Courtney! Courtney! Will you make a photo for me too? Okay. Courtney's that survivor. She just has that in her. And the price she has paid to develop that level of strength. I believe it's been huge and it, it's remarkable. It's heroic. Rock and roll, real rock and roll, no one fakes it. You wanna live the dream, you do what you want on your terms. It's just a matter of authenticity and meaning in it. I mean it, man. <sighs> Courtney Love is still rock's favorite dirty blonde. In 2020, she was honored at the NME Awards with the Icon Award, named one of alternative culture's most influential singers of the last 30 years. Courtney has continued to push her creative energies with forays into fashion and a return to acting, with roles in hit television programs, including Sons of Anarchy, Revenge, and Empire. Courtney Love continues to inspire a new generation of musicians, especially young women and girls. She's left her mark on music and continues to grow her legacy. Listen to Behind the Music on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Want more episodes? You can watch Remastered, Best of the Vault, and new episodes of Behind the Music only on Paramount+. Plus. Jon Stewart is back at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.